Welcome to the Gamers Change Lives podcast. Play games, create jobs, change lives. This is a show about how to build an esports business from literally anywhere in the world, where each week we showcase the journey of one inspiring esports entrepreneur and learn how they solved a particular problem that everyone will ultimately face. And now, to your host, Tom Leonard. I'm Tom Leonard. I'm the host of the Gamers Change Lives podcast. When it comes to esports, I'm definitely not the expert. I'm more of an explorer. The goal behind this podcast is to hear from esports entrepreneurs from all over the world, to hear their stories, to learn how esports can create jobs, and to hopefully inspire others to do the same. Our tagline is play games, create jobs, change lives. Today, I am so honored to have Mitch Esguera, the Southeast Asian operation CEO of Galaxy Racer. He leads the establishment, growth, and scale of their regional operations across the Philippines, Malaysia, Singapore, Thailand, Laos, Vietnam, and Indonesia. He is a definite frequent flyer. He was also the managing partner of Dreamfire Group, which was a startup gaming talent management agency that was um, acquired by Galaxy Racer just, just a few months ago, actually. So welcome, Mitch. Um, first question is, tell us more. What got you started in esports? I always like to hear about everyone's very first experience. Oh, hey, Tom. Uh, thanks for having me here. But to answer your question, what got me started in esports? The moment I was practically born, I was already holding a controller. Uh, essentially, my, my, my dad is also an avid fan of gaming. So growing up, uh, we had every, every possible console because that was way before smartphones and um, and uh, PC games, right? So from the family computer to a couple of PS, one, two, three, four, um, my wife would let me buy the five. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, um, And yeah, Xbox and all that, um, uh, all the way to, you know, the the handy ones. Uh, Essentially, when I started my career, I started my career in advertising and marketing. And it all started when it comes to me going into the realm of events. And I started my career pretty, pretty, you know, at the bottom of the food chain. I was a production assistant. Basically, it's just a fancy way of saying that you're somebody who serves food to everybody in production while ingress is happening or egress is happening. You're the one that doesn't sleep. You're the one that serves coffee and stuff like that. But uh, that's when I got to realize that there's so much more to events than just corporate events, than just brand launches or press conferences. That was the time when I saw that there were they were starting when it comes to tournaments, leagues, and stuff like that, right? When it comes to esports games that are actually published. And I grew my career from there to the point where uh, I was still an avid player. I, I still am up to now. And then an opportunity came and my friend came to me and said, hey, it's the pandemic. And he was the one who was in esports and gaming, primarily in the content creation business. And in the content creation business, some of the influencers actually came to him and told him like, hey, uh, so he, he owned a modeling agency. And some of them told him like, hey, we need a new job because, you know, we, we don't have events. Uh, we don't have anything to earn from. And he told us, uh, he, he came to me because he knew that I had the experience putting up startups and stuff like that. And he said, like, hey, man, can, maybe you can help me out with this. And I did. I, I technically wasn't supposed to be CEO. I, I asked him multiple times that I didn't want to lead anymore because I didn't want the, the burden uh, on my shoulders. I, I wanted to help, but uh, I, didn't wanna, I didn't want the pains of being a leader anymore. But, you know, eventually he forced me into it. <laughs> And from then on, we started our, we started Dreamfire. Um, we created a talent agency. Uh, I had the network of the clients. He had the talents. We basically molded and, and, and grew them in social media. They started from zero to a couple of million followers by virtue of his expertise and, uh, and the support from, of course, brands and sponsors and stuff like that that we actually helped them on. And eventually, yeah, uh, Galaxy Racer came and um, 
that was basically the fulfillment of our careers that we are 100% in esports and gaming. And, you know, at the end of the day, because I, I've always been a gamer, it doesn't really feel like work. It's just um, fun. Now that's that that is such a great thing to hear because uh everyone should be so lucky as as to be able to do that. So like so here at the at the Gamers Change Lives podcast, we want to talk to people and really focus on emerging markets. And so the people, our audience can hear how it's done from someone that you know has that kind of experience that knows how it's done. I, I think you said you're in Vietnam right now. Yeah. So it's like, you know, what a different world that is than 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 where a, a lot of people are coming from. And the other thing I, I want to talk about is um, just all the different areas that Galaxy Racer is involved in. And, and you, you can describe it probably a lot better than I could. But but it's it's one of the things I really want to broaden people's ideas of the jobs that are possible in esports because people are thinking of, oh, job at esports, that's, that's a, a pro player or maybe creating a team or creating a tournament. But, but, and that's why I like hearing you talk about events. It's like when you think of all the yeah. jobs that are involved with events, no one knows better than you do. So, yeah. so what, what are all the different areas that uh, Galaxy Racer is working on? So essentially the, the, the first thing that we need to account for here is the difference between what's called esports and what's called gaming, right? Because these are very, uh, two very different paradigms, right? Esports is the professional sports of gaming basically like when you say sports it's basketball football and stuff like that right right gaming on the other hand is the industry as a whole so gaming doesn't just encompass esports it encompasses everything so that encompasses a lot of other things which galaxy racer is involved in like say for example um there's a lot of familiar industries that are involved in esports, but because of the special trait that esports and gaming have uh, that requires special skills, special knowledge, and stuff like that, um, you kind of blur the line between these industries. So let's say, for example, when it comes to gaming as a whole, you'll find music there. You'll find consumer goods or merchandise. You'll find fashion. You'll find toys, you'll find um, competitive teams, which is esports, you'll find content creation, and you'll find content production. You will also find digital marketing and all, everything encompassing the whole entertainment spectrum. right? And that's what Galaxy Racer does. We have or dipped our toes in all of these facets, which we call verticals in the company. So there's what we call uh, GXR, uh, Nigma Galaxy, uh, wherein it's the merger between Tim ne Team Nigma and Galaxy Racer, which essentially means that you know uh, Team Nigma, one of the champions of the international in Dota Two, uh, basically a legacy team already. Uh, I don't think anybody in gaming does not know who Team Nigma is. And um, when it comes to that, they wanted to expand into other game titles, and Galaxy Racer was already in eleven other game titles. Uh, in that sense. So we have now uh, 11 teams across these game titles and are all around the world. It depends on which region because you have to understand also that the regions are different when it comes to approaching esports and gaming. The West is primarily PC and console, while the East is primarily mobile. So these are facets that we need to understand because the publishers don't necessarily always have crossover platforms. Um, another thing is content. And content creators, which we call uh, in gaming esports, uh, sometimes in lifestyle, they're called influencers. Sometimes they're called key opinion leaders. Uh, but at the end of the day, they're content creators. And content creators are a big factor when it comes to esports and gaming, primarily because they're the ones that actually you know, promote and sell the game to particular audiences, depending on the market. They, right. They're, they're the face of the, of the They're the face. Yes. Yes. And they're the ones who actually support the publishers in propagating the game across the multitude audiences. Because primarily right now, influencer marketing is one of the top digital um, digital marketing facets that are top performing, right? 
another thing is consumer goods. Because at the end of the day, the gaming market is, sorry for the lack of a better term, but basically I think right now it's primarily accepted, is the geek market or the nerd market in that sense, right? Before, geeks and nerds were a niche market. They're, they're, they're not really very much appreciated in, in the whole world. But right now, nerds and geeks are the ones that are cool. And primarily because of the whole spectrum of what it is that they do, right? So merchandise, apparel, consumer goods, collectibles, and toys essentially are part of the spectrum of gaming. And these involve not only, you know, the typical toys that you buy, like toy cars or toy dolls or something like that. These involve more mature uh, uh, toys and collectibles or merchandise, which are, you know, esports jerseys. And it could be, you know, anime-inspired apparel, anime-collaborated apparel, and anime toys, collectibles, which you know for a fact, I'm guessing, that some of which are really very expensive and are works of art. Um, besides that, uh, there's also what we call performance marketing, wherein performance marketing essentially spans digital marketing. But there's a very special treatment when it comes to that. Unlike non-endemic brands or brands that actually have been used to digital marketing, the approach in esports always has to be, number one, authentic, and number two, fun, and number three, cool, right? Because you're talking to the hardest-to-reach audience in the world, which are collectively the Gen Z and the Millennial. And in this particular respect, these people don't want hard-selling approaches. They want to feel like you're endorsing the brand primarily because you've experienced it and you're an authentic voice that they would believe when you say things that are good or things that are bad. Because nothing is perfect. And at the end of the day, tell us what's bad and tell us what's good. And let us decide whether or not we want to buy it. So that's the thing. That's the thing that we need to kind of account for in all of these things. Besides that, there's a lot more like music, which is a very thin line between gaming and esports and music, primarily because, you know, in every game that is published, in every opportunity that is there, music is always there. And music is the universal language that everybody understands. And in this particular way, it's one thing that we all gamers understand, but it's also another channel for us gamers to actually connect to the rest of the world so that they may understand what it is what, what it is that we're doing and why it is that we're in it and what it gives us as a value proposition and as to why we spend hours of our day actually playing particular games and enjoying it or watching content creators play games so that we can learn and educate ourselves how to play better. And these are the facets that Galaxy Racer is involved in across the board. And this is what we bring to the table whenever we are present in a particular territory or want to expand in other territories as well. Uh, I, I think that's really interesting because a lot of what you're describing just reminds me so much of uh, my time over at Warner Brothers. And I mean, Warner Brothers just it, is, is covering almost those exact same bases and certainly with, with DC and trying to figure out how, you know, how to market, you know, one particular movie, one particular brand to one audience and another, another brand to another audience and to figure out how, how to do it, um, how to do it right. When you're talking about content creators, especially influencers, if someone wants to be an influencer, if someone wants to be a, a content creator, I think I saw it somewhere you were, you were quoted as saying, youth wants to be creators. Yeah. And so if, so how does someone get, get started in that? Let's say if someone's in Vietnam, so if someone's in, you know, uh, not sitting here in Burbank, but, you know, in, in some other part of the country, how can they get involved in that? How, where, where should they start? Like any other business, or any other freelance business in this particular sense. Content creators, we see them as a micro-business, right? So you can look at Galaxy Racer as sort of like a venture capitalist investing in these uh, micro-businesses collectively. And in any type of business, I think there's just two things that's required. Number one is persistence, and number two is determination. You don't have to be the smartest man in the room. You don't have to be the best or best looking person in the world, or you don't have to be the most talkative person in the world as well. 
But as long as you're authentic, genuine, and true, truly passionate about what it is that you're doing and what it is that you're showing your audiences, because people feel that, right? At the end of the day, people know and feel and acknowledge your your, your genuineness with, with what it is that you're doing. And this is what we usually initially brief our content creators as well, that you know, at the end of the day, people keep asking me like, okay, how can I be successful as a content creator? And the only answer to that question for me is just be yourself. There's nobody better than you being yourself because people feel this. People acknowledge this and people will know. People know when somebody is lying to them at the end of the day. People know when it's not genuine. People understand when it's scripted. And when you're not all of that, that's when you actually become comfortable and people start becoming comfortable with you as well because they value now what they say, what you say, right? And uh, with, with your note, when it comes to Warner Brothers, um, at Galaxy Racer, we don't tag ourselves essentially just as an esports and gaming organization. We tag ourselves as a transmedia powerhouse around the world. And that's because we span across the whole entertainment spectrum. And at the end of the day, we want all of these experiences. We act like an interpreter because a lot of brands, a lot of governments, even households are now having problems connecting to the Gen Z and the millennials. They don't, they, they speak a different language. They experience a completely different world, right? Because the boomers before they've experienced a very manual world, right? And a very, a slower world at that, you know, connectivity was very slow uh, you know, from letters to international phone calls that have to be billed per second or minute or whatever that, you know, you don't necessarily always have the opportunity to do. But right now, information is there. Before, we had to go to libraries and uh, look up where the book is, right? Or, or we even went into the phase where we had a PC, but we had to go through ridiculously slow speeds of internet, the dial-up age, right? <laughs> But right now, everywhere you go and everything you experience is so, so fast that the language and the experience of the young versus, you know, the, the older generation is actually, actually has a discrepancy. And what we do is we interpret how these people can communicate to that part of the population right now better, more authentic, so that they understand each other in ways that, you know, they never would have discovered they could. Yeah, this is really good. I have two questions there. One is, what about language? Does do, do people, if you're a content creator and you want to have you know any kind of size to your audience, do you need to be speaking English? And the other thing is, what about culture? Because you you are working with so many different cultures, uh, uh, just in Southeast Asia, but yes. Galaxy Racer, you know, around the world. I mean, talking to, I saw one of your influencers, one of the Galaxy Racer influencers, I think is in Iraq. And you're just yeah, thinking. Yeah, it's an Iraqi, yes. And, it, and it's just like, okay, look at the culture there versus the culture in the Philippines or the culture in Thailand or Indonesia. Or So how, do, how does language and culture factor into um, content creation? Language plays a very important and vital part in terms of content creation around the spectrum of esports and gaming and entertainment as a whole, primarily because it's a barrier for you to actually communicate to fans, right? If we're talking content creators uh, per se. So at the end of the day, we have a multitude of solutions where we basically, to reach a particular milestone of saturation in, in their particular markets, but along the way, try and develop them to be more educated when it comes to more globally uh, accepted languages. So, uh, and, and, and this is in part one of the biggest challenges of the emerging markets right now. Because unlike, let's say, for example, North America, you guys understand one language, right? And at the end of the day, it's English. Yes. Europe understands, well, has multiple languages, but generally they actually have particular language that they have consensus on. Middle East and North Africa technically are Arabic speakers, so you don't necessarily have a problem there. Australia and New Zealand the same when it comes to English. And but but uh, and and 
India or South Asia essentially have, you know, uh, one 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 language that they mostly understand. But Southeast Asia, on the other hand, is uh, is quite different and difficult because you know one country may have one language, but technically within that country there are still hundreds to thousands of languages, right? And these languages essentially. Uh, are also blockades for them to actually grow their audiences and at the same time does not unify the region as a whole as well. So one of the major things that we actually put as solutions there is number one, the easiest way to go about it is subtitling. Right? And subtitling these content into English, uh, just like the way the Koreans do it, right? Because um, K- uh, K-pop is very famous around the world, but I'm sure as hell that you know most most of the K-pop fans don't understand the the words that are coming out of that music. Exactly. But, exactly. But you know, subtitling is uh, and, and the lyrics actually are solving that for them. So that's one of the solutions. The other is training. At the end of the day, we have English coaches, we have English trainers, we have uh, we have all of that that can support our our our, our Southeast Asian content creators to actually speak better English or learn English from scratch. And these are just the two, you know, low-hanging fruit solutions that we actually do and provide uh, some of our content creators. But at the end of the day, we look into gaming esports as a language in itself. Because uh, I can tell you right now, when it comes to Southeast Asians, we can literally watch a content creator create content about a game that is not in our language, but we understand it because we know and play the same game. Oh, I see. Right, right. <laughs> so we, we look at the screen and we look at what they're doing and we, we copy it in our phones uh, and basically assess, oh, this is what happens. Oh, this is how. So, you know, at the end of the day, it's, it is a barrier for better understanding, but it is something that we typically do. So Filipinos will watch the ties uh do their tricks and we kind of learn from that and i think it's vice versa all around southeast asia yes yes now how, how about culture are there are there certain cultural uh differences in esports i mean that may impact what games can be played and and uh what, what what's popular what's accepted and so on culture is a factor that technically um when it when it when it comes to the factor of culture uh, in gaming esports, right? It plays a, a big role, but primarily most of the esports and gaming people are very competitive people in general. So culture at the end of the day is just a matter of you uh, just a matter of you assessing whether or not you can play with this person or not. Because primarily different cultures mean different ways of doing things, whether or not it's in the real world or in the game world, right? So in the perspective of different games, there's also uh, different things and as to how they're used to doing it. So let's say, for example, in the likes of a couple of game titles in FPS or first, uh, first-person shooters, that uh, this part of Southeast Asia is used to having team play that, you know, oh, this is your role, this is your role, and this is your role, and this is what we need to do to beat the odds, right? But in other parts of Southeast Asia, they're typically used to, let's say, for example, this one role is all of us, right? And they just barrage into that. So these cultural things that are affecting the, the way that we play the game is also one thing that is in consideration. But at the end of the day, it's also an advantage, primarily because we all discover a lot of different ways and how we can better play the game together. And that's primarily why in most of the international competitions, you'll always see a Southeast Asian either as part of the team or within the whole team in a mix. Because I think Southeast Asians are very, very smart when it comes to discovering uh, tips, tricks, loopholes, and advantages that you can actually uh, take advantage of when it comes to the mechanics of the game. And that's primarily also why most of the game publishers also, when, the, when, when it comes to beta testing, they, they reserve a certain percentage of the beta testers for Southeast Asians. And 
Really? But in general, yes, yes, definitely. But in general, when it comes to the culture of Southeast Asia, I think we're all primarily, in most respects, the same. Because we understand and are very near each other, we we practically are the same in terms of uh, in terms of culture in game. So at the end of the day, when it comes to the games that we play, games are also now kind of putting up in in in, in the global chat boxes, right? Uh, automatic translation. So there's a really really small button that you have to click on every chat. Wherein it translates into your own, either your own local language or a language you understand, like English, right? So this way, the communication is actually a lot better, and this has been solving a lot of things when it comes to inter-territorial gameplay across Southeast Asia. But one thing that I've noticed in Southeast Asian regions, like uh, where I am right now in Vietnam, uh, after talking to a lot of our Vietnamese partners here, that their youth. And in Vietnam right now, their youth, English is already a very important language to them. So the boomers right now and uh, the more mature people right now, they're not really good English speakers in Vietnam, to be completely and utterly honest. But the young people, they're basically, they can speak English like you and me. Now, that's, that, that, I, yeah, I, I just think that it, it's really interesting to what culture, how culture can work. With it within esports and how esports can help bring you know, it sounds kind of hokey bring people together on, on something yes. common because I'm playing Free Fire and I'm probably playing someone in you know some 15 year old kid in India and who's beating the heck out of me <laughs> on Free Fire but yeah. but but we're still we're 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 interacting in ways that were never there before. I could talk about culture for the whole whole session, but I want to move on here because, <laughs> because you mentioned mobile. And one of the things that I find in talking to people so much in so many parts of the world that mobile is the future of esports. And yes. I think you, you were talking somewhere about mobile first tournaments, things like this. And so what, what I would be curious about to get your take on where you see mobile gaming in the, in the world right now and where you see it going especially in the areas where where, where uh, you spend most of your time? Yeah, okay. So because primarily the West has, their value of money is a lot higher than Southeast Asia or Asia in general, right? You, you uh, The Westerners have a lot more disposable income versus Asians in general. And that's primarily why you can spend a lot more money in PC and console. But in, in, in Asia in general, right, and in Southeast Asia, number one, we're very competitive. Number two, we want accessibility. And number three, we're very, very social people. To the point that even if we meet as friends in, in restaurants, in cafes, in clubs, in bars, or wherever, we'll put, up our, we'll put out our phones and play one game. It's, 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 it's that avid of a fan of gaming that we are. I literally know a ton of people in Southeast Asia that will spend millions of dollars in their own money, in their own currency, for a particular game. That's how competitive Southeast Asians are. And in, 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 in this particular sense, we understand now that mobile is the way, number one, primarily because of the socioeconomic status of the most of, most of Asia in general. Um, number two is accessibility. And number three, the difference between the mobile experience and PC or console experience in terms of graphics and whatsoever is already thinning out. I can literally have sometimes even better graphics in mobile than in PC. And I don't even have to spend that much. I'll spend the whole disposable income that I have on a really, really good phone. Right, which I can bring anywhere, do anything, and yes, yes, essentially, rather than a chunky PC that I can only leave at home. So these are some of the major factors that you know that basically the Asians uh, connote when it comes to being mobile first in terms of gaming versus uh, the West and the other parts of the world. What about as far as? Um... Connection, connectivity, 
and so on in um you know with, with mobile phones is that ever anything that slows down esports um in in some countries that you've seen I think connectivity is not the issue because internet is practically available in most of the urbanized areas uh, across Southeast Asia. And it, it's not prim- the primary issue, though, of course, it's not as stable as most of the other fir- fir- uh, most of the first world countries. But it is there and the game experience is practically there. I think one of the major issues when it comes to latency is the, 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 where the servers are. But primarily because Southeast Asian South Southeast Asia is basically comprised of neighboring countries around a particular area, and most of this uh, most of the Southeast Asian servers are in Singapore, which is practically somewhere in the middle of Southeast Asia. So the 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 ping or the latency, uh, as we call it, is essentially the same with everybody. But uh, the problem occurs when Southeast Asians want to play with Westerners, for example, right? That's where the problem occurs because your server is different from our server, which basically either one of the servers actually sacrificed the ping or the latency of uh, whichever part of the of the game uh, is, depending on which server the actual game is running from. So in this sense, in Asian general, I think there's a lot of improvement that will happen when it comes to improvement of infrastructure of the internet. But in terms of playability and convenience of playability right now, uh, I don't think there's a major problem that we're facing there because, you know, we still enjoy the games. We still have okay internet uh, as long as we can pay for it. <laughs> and um, we still have we still have the same experience as you as long as it's within the balance of the servers that we actually have available in our roster and the game titles that we play yeah that, that that's just been something that's come up in i think every conversation that we've had particularly in uh, sub-saharan africa it's like uh, the people there are such a disadvantage because there might be some servers in south africa which is again not very close if you're in ghana um but um it, and it just makes a huge difference in your ability to compete on a world level as a professional yes. player when that's that's you know that's something that that is just a handicap, and so um, it, it was interesting because we were talking with um, uh, some people in Africa, and they were saying that uh, Anubis out of Egypt, when they went to uh, for the the uh, the Valorant the Red Bull event in Spain, they said that it was almost an advantage for them to be from an area that had a slower ping rate because they got they just got better. And then yeah, once they, they got someplace where, where, where the ping rate was just non-existent, you know, was so, so low, they were just, they, they, you know, they were a really good team for all kinds of reasons, but that certainly uh, <laughs> was in a way a, a, a training device uh, for that. Yeah. So, so you see for galaxy racer, do you see things moving more and more toward mobile only or uh, is galaxy racer going to be covering all kinds of platforms? We, our offices are strategically placed around the world. So our teams are also strategically placed around the world. And in this particular sense, of course, we determine our strategies by virtue of what the market situation is. So most of our PC games or game titles that we participate in are in the West and Europe in this sense, uh, including some in the Middle East. Uh, From the Middle East onwards, that's where it kind of changes, where our strategy actually involves um, more mobile uh, participation in particular game titles. But then again, one thing that I think we both need to note is talent can be anywhere. Yes. So you will find teams that are a mix of, you know, everything. Like right now, we're participating in 11 game titles, uh, sorry, in eight game titles with 11 teams across the world. But we have 22 nationalities in our whole roster of players in in in, in, in NGX. No, that, that's great, and that's and and that's that's the way things will be in the future. I mean, that's not exactly. Uh, it's like I remember going to. I was mentioned before. Blizzard Arena used to be just down the street here, and I go over to watch uh, the the Overwatch games there. And the teams at the first year, I mean, all the teams were based here in Burbank, 
and but all the teams just for, from you know were representing all these different cities in, around the world, but they all looked so different than the cities that they were coming from. So it's <laughs> it's just the way it is. I wanted to talk a little bit about uh, sponsorship okay. because um, sponsorship is the lifeblood of an esports organization. Um, but one of the things I also have heard you talk about, I believe, is just how esports is really entertainment. And yes. really sponsorship is is how entertainment is paid for, for, uh, yes. for the most part around the world. So it's, it's not anything unusual there. But sponsorship, I mean, for Galaxy Racer, I mean, when you guys call someone, they return your phone calls, I'm sure. Yes, yes. But, but, <laughs> but let's say if, if, if someone is out there looking for a sponsor, it, maybe if you're a content creator looking for a sponsor, do you have any suggestions on, on how, uh, the be- what the best approach is for that? Right, right now, the way that the industry is structured is there are organizations like us all around the world, of course, uh, that are there to help all of these people actually get connected to brand, right? That's our job at the end of the day. And that's what we want them to do because primarily we're the ones who essentially explain to the brands that, hey, this is a good industry to invest in if you want a younger audience into your portfolio of audiences or markets. Uh, that can purchase your product or service. And while that is happening on the other end of the spectrum, uh, the way we see it is we have two clients in everything, right? One is the brand or the sponsors, and the other is the content creators, the esports players, and all that, because we have to take care of both of them. And the business is basically built upon relationships, primarily because you're, you're, you're talking about human human beings. Right. It's not like we're we're kind of we're not selling products that we can shelve out there and wait for somebody to buy them forever. But we need to optimize as human beings as well. And in that particular sense, we have data scientists, we have platform experts, we have operations experts that will literally assess their performance when it comes to these particular platforms. And different platforms mean different algorithms. So there are different techniques and as to how you can optimize whatever content it is that you produce. So it doesn't necessarily mean that it works on YouTube, it will work on Facebook. So all of these people, I think, if you're not really well studied when it comes to platform technology, when it comes to your network, when it comes to brands, um, of course, there will always be brands that reach out to them. But on a larger scope, at a more global level, where the deals, where the big deals are actually made, essentially, they will lose on that. So you can, one is, you can literally make a living out of being an independent um, content creator. But you're going to make an okay living until you actually grow your audience base. And in order for you to grow your audience base, the same as any other business, you would need capital. Right? You would need capital that you can in, reinvest back into your audiences so that your audience can grow. Because at the end of the day, you are growing a community of people that follow and admire you. And these people uh, also need uh, or, or would demand a lot from you. Right? May it be time, may it be effort, may it be some events that are within your community and stuff like that. All of these need to be fed. And as, a, as somebody independent, yes, you might be able to do that. But even independents actually hire their own people that can help them when it comes to content creation. They're social media managers, post schedulers, and stuff like that, right? On the other end of the spectrum, the sponsors do not necessarily understand what's happening on ground. They don't. No, I'm not saying all, but in a majority, they don't. So at the end of the day, they don't know... They don't understand the industry because it's new. And who can blame them for that, right? But at the end of the day, these people are not just... Because the way that they see it on screen, it's one person in a screen playing on their phone. So in the minds of some of the uh, some of the sponsors, they're like, why are you so expensive, right? Why are you so expensive? There, there's nothing there. You're just sitting on the screen and talking to people. But they don't see everything that's happening behind the screen, behind the scenes, right? And 
there are a lot of other people that are actually working to make this happen. Not just your broadcast experts, your project managers, um, your, your social media managers, your data scientists, the platforms that you pay uh, that actually provide you with better data and analytics in the performance of your content, in the performance and projection or forecast of the audience growth that you have, and all these things. All of these things require money. And that's why it's not only about you paying the the influencer or the content creator. It's about us maximizing our efforts to produce quality content that will still seem authentic for the brand so that the audiences will be able to relate to them through the channels that we use in order for that to happen. What do you think that, what is a sponsor looking for? What kind of metrics? Because when you said, when you're talking about someone, why are you so expensive? What, what kind of metrics? I, I know in working on activations here in the entertainment world, it's all about views. I mean, they just, they, they wanted to be able to, it, it, the internal metric was views. If you had this many views, then you, you were, you were successful. And if you didn't, you weren't successful. Is that typically what a, what a sponsor is looking for in working with a content creator? Right now, I believe that that's the old way. So in a new industry, that's the old way of measuring up to the success of particular campaigns that you do, right? Because before, there were too many tools and platforms weren't as open. And even if they were, technically, they you had to have your own dashboard or tech stack that can actually pull this data in order for you to assess it better. So the old way was, oh, this person has a lot of followers. And on average, if you look at it, there's a lot of views on average. So maybe if we sponsor one episode, essentially we'll get the average amount of views. And in this sense, we like the amount of views. But views are typically just like foot traffic on a billboard, right? So when you're driving your car, you see a billboard and you look at the billboard, you're one view. Right, but what is the result of that view? And that's where conversion rate and engagement rates come in. Right at the end of the day, how much convert? Uh, how much of these views can you actually convert into money, or how much of these people will actually buy your product? Depending on what the what the what the main goal of the sponsor is, you know, maybe sales conversion, maybe brand recall, depending on what the actual goal maybe downloads or installs or whatever. But at the end of the day, conversion is important, right? And we have to maximize on on that. But the only issue is it's not always on an instant, in an instant, right? So like, say, for example, for me, there's a whole, uh, I'm not sure if you know the consumer funnel, right? There's a whole funnel that a person actually has to go through. I drive my car, I see your billboard, fine. I know, I know what brand you are. And then I, I open my computer, I open Facebook, and then I see the ad there. Okay, fine. I, I saw your ad. I know what brand you are. I know what you sell. And then I go to YouTube, and then I see my content creator. And then she says, like, oh, my God, this product is the best and stuff stuff like that, right? Uh, but, you know, um, this is what's wrong with it. This is what's not wrong with it. But, you know, it depends on you. And I'm like, oh, okay, now I understand the product better. But my need is not there yet, right? And then one day I feel hungry and I can't cook and something like that. And then I remember like, hey, my content creator actually told me this, that it's a good cup of noodles. So I'm going to order that cup of noodles over my Grab app and stuff like that and, 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 and buy it. So it's not in an instant, right? There's a whole journey that each person in the market has to go through when it comes to assessing whether or not they're going to buy or purchase the product or slash service. And in this particular case, you can only do so much with the technology that's available to you. So whatever it is there, the most important thing is engagement rate. Uh, this is how I feel on a personal level. And this is how it is that we're measuring up uh, our data and analytics for the clients that we have, at least in Galaxy Racer. That engagement rate is the prime importance. Why is that? Views are counted depending on the platform. Sometimes they're counted one second. Sometimes they're counted three seconds. So the views may sometimes be you scrolling in your, in your wall 
and then just scrolling it up there. You know, just you pausing for three seconds or one second, and then it's counted as a view. So it doesn't necessarily mean you saw it, right? Like it could you could have paused in your wall because your your wife spoke to you on an instant, or your your, your kid called you, or somebody was talking to you on the phone, or something like that, right? So you can't measure that up. But engagement rate, on the other hand, is you meaning you as a consumer interacting with the content that you're interacting with, with the content creator that you're interacting with, with the content that you're. So you either you either um, were talking to them through the comment section, you were watching at a longer time, you were there this particular second, and so on and so forth. And yeah. you liked and shared it. So it we know that you saw. And no, that, that's, that's the most important metric. No, I mean, this is always, the whole data side of, of marketing has always been really fascinating. And the data in esports is like off the charts compared to <laughs> what you could have had in so many other platforms, you know, over the, over the decades. And what I also hear you talking about is from the Galaxy Racer side of things, you have to educate two sides. Yes. You, have to, you have to educate the brands on what they should expect. You have to talk to, you have to educate, and I don't mean that in a bad way. It's just like you have, yes, to, yes. you have to explain to the content creator also what to expect and, yes. and, and what the other side. And that's really interesting that, that Galaxy Racer fits in, this, the, the, in between those two areas. And once, once you start figuring out how, how to make that work with all the data, yeah, that's, that's a great place to be. I don't want to spend your whole day here. But I did want to talk about, um, I also see that it sounds seems like Galaxy Racer works a lot with government organizations and non-government yeah. organizations out there. And which I just think is, is, is really interesting. If you could talk a little bit about how you work with, with, with government organizations that are, are you know, part of the government or you know, if they're federations, if there's, if there are esports organizations, where you see their value coming into, um, into esports. Governments are ancient. I'm going to be honest with you here. They are, quote you on that one. Yeah. <laughs> they are the slowest moving organization that you will find in any country. Right. And in this particular sense, Technology, gaming, esports, and everything else are outpacing them. Yes. So, as a private corporation, we felt the necessary the necessity to actually not only educate but involve the government in particular efforts, so that that pace can become faster, and so that because at the end of the day, what does the government need? The government needs their population. And the population right now, the whole consumer population around the world is 40% Gen Z. What does that mean? 40% of the people in the world right now are less than 25 years old. Another 25% of the people in the world right now are less than 35 years old. So gaming and esports is actually talking to 65% of the whole world. And it's, it's even, yeah, even more pronounced in emerging markets exactly because in the emerging markets if you look at the online population of the whole of the emerging markets uh, especially in southeast asia you'll notice that more than uh, in singapore uh, malaysia thailand philippines indonesia vietnam all of these territories lao and everything else in southeast asia more than 50 percent of their online population on average are gamers they play games so that means if Southeast Asia was half a billion in population, more than 250 million of those are actually playing games. And this is why the govern uh, it's 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 both a need for us and a need for the government to actually collaborate. Why is that? The government needs their people and the government needs their people to understand them. Right? And we're the interpreters when it comes to that. We want them to understand their government. And it's not like we're siding with, let's say, for example, a political party or whatever like that, right? right in general, right. we're just in support of the institution because at the end of the day, what we want to happen is the longevity and sustainability of the industry in the future. 
Why is that? It's there's a special there's particular special skills that you need when it comes to gaming esports because not everybody understands what the game is. It's like you being born and then being asked what are the rules of basketball. You get what I mean? And in this sense, somebody uh, who wasn't a gamer his whole life or isn't really involved in gaming at the end of the day, when you look, when you look at the the screen and with somebody playing a game, you will understand nothing. You're just going to see flashing lights everywhere, right? <laughs> and you wouldn't understand a thing about it. You don't know the rules. You don't know how to win because it's 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 different, and it's different in every game. And in this particular sense, we we know that in order for this industry to grow, survive, and thrive in the future, that we need the help of government as well. Because why? We need the help of the education sector in order for them to produce more population that will work in this industry in the future. They need our help in the tourism sector, primarily because we bring about tourists from every nation around the world when we produce land events in their particular country. Uh, we need their help when it comes to uh, regulations and when it comes to recognizing that esports players are legitimate professional athletes, right? Because these people are salaried. These people are in boot camps. These people are being trained day in, day out. They have coaches. They have psychologists. They have all of these things. So they should be recognized as esports players. And that's primarily one of the reasons and as to why the Southeast Asian Games, which is happening here in Vietnam, which is the reason why I'm here, has an official esports bracket where some game titles are there where countries have their young representatives playing in behalf of their country. So there's a lot of synergy that we need to do. And, you know, we're not saying that it's our obligation as Galaxy Racer to actually help the government or the government help us. But at the end of the day, we want to do our part. And if if other organizations are going to follow our lead when it comes to that, so... That's going to be even better. That's going to be better, not just for us, but for the whole industry at large. Because the government uh, and all these non-government institutions, um, we will need each other for the future of this industry to, to grow and thrive. And that's primarily why we believe and we think, aside from the, the, the potential politics of it, right? that the governments need to participate in esports and, and gaming in general. Like, say, for example, one instance in the Philippines was that because the content creators were earning so much money that they knew that it was an opportunity for them to tax the earnings of these content creators, which, in effect, then becomes revenue from the, for the country, which, in effect, then becomes additional value for the constituents of the country. Because more income for the government means more that the government can serve its people. So, you know, we're, we're, it's, 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 it's a symbiotic relationship. And we need to start it now. No, I think that's, I think that's a, re a really good approach. And I think that's one of the things you see Galaxy Racer and, and what I hear you talking about is just to, to work with these organizations. I mean, don't, don't you know, don't, don't fight anything. I mean, there's, just, there's, there, there's a benefit for both sides. I've got one last question for you here. Should the Olympics include esports? Yes. <laughs> okay. Yes, because, okay, uh, I'm going to tell you this honestly. How many people still watch the Olympics or the SEA Games or the ASEAN Games or whichever official um, inter-regional game? Yeah, right. definitely on the down downside. Definitely on the downside. And but these are the official games. Right now, if you look at the numbers, uh there's a lot more people watching, let's say, the League of Legends championship uh versus traditional sports in terms of viewership, right? And Again, it's a symbiotic relationship. The Olympics need viewers. And we want to be recognized. 
as an official uh, as an official sport. And there's a lot more opportunities for that. And yes, that's why my answer is yes, because uh, just to add to that note, this is a sport that has the least barrier of entry than anything else. You don't have to be you don't have to be fast. You don't have to be tall. You don't have to be big. You don't have to be strong. You just have to be smart. But not everybody wants to play chess. You get what I mean? <laughs> Some people no, want I think to that's, play esports. I... And this is an opportunity to equal the playing field, not just by virtue of physique, but also by virtue of gender. Yes, yes. That, well, that's another thing. Yes, exactly. That's, that's, another, that's a whole that, different discussion. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That that I think one of the things that I, I've seen about Galaxy Racer is you guys are probably doing you guys, meaning men and women, are doing as much as anyone out there on on diversity. I mean, when you look at you know the uh, is it called the Hers Galaxy here Her in Galaxy? Yes, in Her Galaxy here in in the U.S. Yes. I mean, it's just like, uh, I mean, you guys, and so that's, that's, yeah, that's, that could be a whole different conversation. Hey, I, you know, I really appreciate your time here. I mean, we could, we could go on and on, but, but you, you've got something else to do. So where can people find you on, uh, where, if they want to know more about what you're talking about, where's the best place for people to contact you? Hmm. LinkedIn. <laughs> okay. That, that's, that's fine. We'll put a, 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 a link in the, uh, in the show notes to that. Yeah, sure. Sure. Reach out to me. I'm all good. Uh, that's yeah, how Reginald taught me. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Reginald is, is, is great. I mean, he's, he's, yeah. he, we're punching way above our weight here for, for the first year <laughs> in, uh, in this and it's all because of him. I'll give him credit for that. So, Really appreciate it. If you, you know, I invite everyone here to subscribe to the podcast, wherever you listen to podcasts, follow us on social media so you can hear when the next episode's available. And we have some great guests coming up, just like Mitch, and you don't want to miss it. So thanks, Mitch. Thanks again for listening. This is the Gamers Change Lives podcast. Play games, create jobs, change lives. Talk to you next time. Thank you so much, Tom.